Good morning. Morning and again, just checking you're still awake, that's okay. Good to be here. You may have noticed that uh, I'm a little bit sad at the moment because the Rugby World Cup is over. It's finished. There's no more Rugby World Cup for another four years. And well done to South Africa. Uh, any South Africans in time? Yeah, 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 well done. Put your hands up proud. Don't, don't, don't just, you know, don't be so timid about it, you know, yeah. They didn't play. I don't know why you're clapping them. They didn't play. I've spoken to many South Africans over the years. And they will tell you that if you are a South African, you do not have any choice about being a Springbok supporter. Is that, that's correct. It, it's kind of in the blood. And I kind of get that. I understand that a little bit, being, being a Welshman. Uh, that, that supporting Springboks or supporting Wales, it, it's, it's just as, as natural as breathing. There's nothing you can do about it, whether you want to or not, whether they're winning or losing, you, you're, you're just Welsh and it's just who you are. And that you will support, not just the Welsh rugby team, you will support any team that there's any hint of Welshness in it, you will claim it and you will support that. Actually, you'll support anything Welsh if you're Welsh. For example, I don't watch Strictly Come Dancing. My wife and daughter love it. I normally go in another room and watch something else. My son watches something with his earphones in because he doesn't, he says he doesn't like it, but he sneakily likes it and votes anyway. However, I will watch it when Amy Dowden is dancing. Do I watch it because the way she does a fleckle is just absolutely amazing? It's just outstanding. I absolutely love it. No, no, that's not why I watch it. Do I watch it because she's an attractive lady? She is, but that's not why I watch it. I watch it because Amy Dowden is Welsh. Pure and simple. She's a Cardiff girl, born and bred, and that's why I watch it. Plus, Amy Dowden has Crohn's disease, so I've got this extra affinity with her because I've got Crohn's disease as well. And you see, if you're Welsh... In the same way as if you're a springbok, you will support anything that is Welsh or South Africa. It's in the blood. Now bear that in mind as I take you back to the Football World Cup last year. Strange sport with a strange shaped ball. But anyway, Wales were in it for the first time since 1958. No, I don't remember when they were in it last but they hadn't been in it for 64 years. Suddenly I became a football supporter because Wales were in it. They didn't get very far, but they were there. Maybe you saw Martin Sheen's rousing speech to the Welsh football team on a league of their own. If you haven't seen it, Google it and watch it because it's absolutely inspiring. Now there was a match between Wales and England and the church we were currently in then in Portsmouth was showing it and Reuben said, I want to go and watch Wales play England in the football. Oh, that's my boy. Come on, let's go and do it. Now you need to bear in mind that over the years I have, what do we call it, brainwashed my children into things of Welsh. We have memorabilia in our home. Things like that, Welsh born and bred. We have cushions that says anyone can cuddle, but only the Welsh can cutch. And if you don't know what cutch is, leave the door. Anyway, but we've got maps up about Wales. We've got happiness is a warm Welsh cake. We've got Welsh memorabilia everywhere. 
I've got a mouse mat with both my kids in Welsh rugby tops. I've got, they've got, I've bought them clothes with the Welsh dragon on it. Everything for the last, for Kezia 15, for Ruben 12, we have told them, as far as I am concerned, they are Welsh. Even though they didn't meet my parents because they had died, they were Welsh. Jem's parents are Welsh. They are Welsh. Bear that in mind. Everywhere in our house is Welshness. If I could have painted the whole house red with a big dragon on, I would have, but it would have been a nightmare when we, you know, to move it off. The, the trustees wouldn't allow that. But anyway, that's another thing. So imagine my genuine pain last year when I'm driving Reuben to the church to watch Wales play England, he said these words to me that will forever be imprinted in my brain. He says, I don't know who to support tonight. <laughs> if he hadn't been my 11-year-old son, I would have stopped the car, opened the door and kicked him out and he can walk the rest of the way. I said, what do you mean? You don't know who to support. You're Welsh. He said, I was born in England. I said, I don't care. You were actually born in the home that we were living in and our home is Welsh. You have diplomatic immunity because you were in a Welsh home. I don't know who to support. Dear me. My stomach actually churned. I felt physical pain. But not only was he thinking of not supporting Wales, he was thinking of supporting England over Wales. If you're Welsh, you support Wales. I have things in my life that say I am Welsh. I wonder if you've got things in your life that just shout who you are. Maybe you support a a certain team and you have all their merchandise. Around here, maybe you're a Ford person and you've got a Ford car and you've got Ford caps and hoodies You might even have Ford socks. I don't know. You've got Ford everything. When I first moved here, somebody said to me, I think you're great, I like you, but you drive a Vauxhall. But there we are. Ford is everything to you. It's what you're known for. Over 20 years ago, when I started in ministry, everybody where I was invited me around for dinner. And without fail, everybody gave me some dish that had pasta in some kind of variety on it. Now you need to bear in mind that back in those days, don't ask me why, but I hated pasta. But not only did they give me pasta, they gave me huge mountains of it on my plate as well. And so, I, I, I had to trawl through, it's like climbing a mountain every time I went to somebody's for dinner. And after a few months, I thought, I can't, I can't bear this anymore. I have to tell the church that I do not like pasta. A pastor who doesn't like pasta. And so, I brought it into a sermon. And I weaved it into a sermon and said, just so you know, it's been lovely that you've all invited me around for dinner, but I hate pasta. Please keep inviting me, but do you eat anything else? And then when Gemma and I got married 18 years ago, she thought, there's no way I'm going to be married to somebody that doesn't eat pasta. And so she now has fed me pasta for 18 years and I love it now. So, But I was known as the pasta that didn't like pasta. What are the things you are known for? This morning we finish our welcome series, even though, yes, we will continue to think and to to live out an active, intentional welcome. Over the weeks we've thought about how Jesus welcomes us. 
the radical welcome of the early church, how the church opens wide her doors and truly welcomes everyone, what it means to belong to the family. And today we finish with thinking about welcoming way beyond Sunday. Isn't this maybe the most difficult aspect of welcome? Because we feel safe here on a Sunday. All wrapped up in our cosy Sunday blanket. It becomes a lot more difficult to offer the same welcome in places where the safety of the gathered church is no longer there. And in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 5, which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we get some great teaching from Jesus where he says these words. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavour? It should appear on the screen. Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You see, salt is used to uh, give flavour. And in Jesus' day, it was also used to preserve and, and make food stay fresh. And so Jesus is saying that when we lose our flavour as followers of Jesus, and what others see in us doesn't taste good, or what we're known for isn't life-giving, we've become useless. We... We become stale. In that same passage, Jesus went on to say, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is, is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In this teaching, Jesus was saying to the disciples that, and to those that are gathered there to hear him, that what they do, how they live, what they are known for, will have a profound impact on those around them. And it's no different to today. The truth is, we will all be known for something. And our lives will have an impact upon those around us, whether we are known for, for things that are good or otherwise. And Jesus was saying, having faith in God, believing in God, uh, is so important, it's vital. Knowing that he was the Son of God is hugely important. But if your life doesn't show that to those around you in practical ways, then it doesn't matter much. It's just theory. So if you say you have a faith, basically don't hide it. Let it shine out for all to see, so that others fall in love with Jesus and give God the glory. And so as we end our series today, we're thinking about how are we shining out in the world in the times when we are away from the safety of a Sunday service. Taking us back to how I started the sermon and what you are known for, it's been said that if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. Now some of you may breathe a sigh of relief and, and switch off because you think, that's okay, I'm not a missionary. I want to say, yes, you are. You are a missionary. What you mean when you say you're not is that you're not currently engaged in mission work overseas. Friends, that is simply one aspect of what it means to be a missionary. For if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. But are you known for that? 
at the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That doesn't simply mean overseas. It means wherever you go. You are to teach about Jesus. And we are to do that by the way we live. In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't say, if you want to, he said, you will be my witnesses. There was no get-out clause, friends, if we're Christians. This was not limited to the disciples, to the people around 2,000 years ago, but it's for all Christians ever since. We are the witnesses of Jesus. Not just here, when it's all nice and we sing the songs and it's all lovely, but when we're out there, we are the witnesses of Jesus. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are missionaries. And we show the love of Jesus. We teach about Jesus by offering a welcome to everyone and we're to do that in situations outside of Sundays. And that is very different to what happens in the world. At the moment, we're taking, some of you know, we're taking our daughter uh, to school uh, every other day for one lesson because she's not very well. And because she can't walk very far, we, we drive in through the gates and we drive right up to buy reception and, and she gets out and walks to a lesson and we pick her up back there. And we've been doing that for months. And one of the things I've noticed is the mayhem that happens when the bell goes for kids to switch lessons. It can look a little bit like a, a nature program where you get a large herd of animals and they're on the move. I almost picture David Attenborough commentating on these kids as they're moving from one lesson to the other. Because there is simply no stopping them, and if you get in the middle of them, you will be trampled, basically. And then as that's happening, you've just got this wave of buffalo, sorry, children, all walking one way, you get one or two that want to go the other way. And you see them, they're kind of, how do I get in, and how do I move, because there's just this herd coming towards me. And while we've been doing that, and I've observed that for months, I have never once seen a pupil or a teacher stop to let someone who is coming the other way through. The other person has to either wait for a natural gap, or they put their head down, their shoulders out, and they go for it, hoping that they'll still be alive when they get to the other side. You see, I've noticed how difficult it is to go against the flow of the crowds that are walking. And as Christians, as church, when we talk about a welcome beyond Sunday, we're talking about going the f- against the flow of the world. And when we, we choose not to because it's too hard, and instead we too go with the flow, we are failing to welcome beyond Sunday and we're hiding our light under a basket. Allowing our light to shine in the way Jesus was talking to the crowds that had gathered to hear him was in how they lived their everyday lives. Were they living lives that due to their actions people were pointed towards Jesus? This is what we mean when we talk about extending a welcome way beyond Sunday to the people around us every other day of the week. 
You know, there are 168 hours in a week. If you include tea and coffee, we gather for around two hours on a Sunday. So the question is, when it comes to welcome, what do we do with the other 166 hours in our week? As we've already heard, the Great Commission from Matthew 28, we're commanded to go. Jesus doesn't command us to stay inside the confines of what church is to you. While gathering for worship, as we do on a Sunday, is brilliant and it's vital and we're called to do it. It's so important that we work hard on welcoming each other here. It's also vital that we go into all the world and do the same. We could even argue that it's more important in how we welcome in the other 166 hours than we do for the two hours that we're here on a Sunday. So what does that mean for you? How do you welcome in your family, in your workplace, among your neighbours, in your social settings? How do you show a welcome when you're driving around and other people are ticking you off? (laughs) Because the way they drive. How do you show a difference? How do you go against the flow of society? We read in James chapter 2, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Strong words. Because James isn't simply saying, faith without deeds is not as good. No, he he says, faith without deeds is dead and useless. And so for the purposes of this sermon, a faith without a welcome in the places we find ourselves for the other 166 hours we we are not here, If we don't show that, our faith is dead and useless, it's lifeless. You may have heard the phrase, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Those words have been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although there is some suggestion that he never actually said that. But it's been attributed to him as he was a renowned environmentalist and social justice pioneer and founder of the Franciscan Order of Monks. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. So how do we do that? How do we show a welcome to the people outside of a Sunday? And I just want to briefly use the rest of this sermon to say three quick things, practical things, about how we could do that. Firstly, we study our communities. We show a welcome by studying our communities. Our community pastor, Gary, has been doing a survey in the Billericay in the community to help him and therefore us as a church understand the needs of our community. He has spent time listening to people who have been sharing what has been going on in their lives. But it's not just Gary that does that, we're all to do that. For all of us there will be places often called our, our front lines. Where we are, where we live out life. These are the places we inhabit for the other 166 hours of the week. They could be your workplaces, families, social settings, the street where you live, simply being in the high street or a retail park, it's anywhere and everywhere that you go. When we're in those places, do we study, do we see what's going on around us? What do you notice in those places? Maybe you see people stressed, so 
welcome by not adding to that stress and just being a bit kinder than the person who was in front of you in the queue was. Maybe you see people struggling to carry everything or for a helping hand. Maybe you see someone struggling to get out of a side turning in their car because nobody else will let them out. Maybe you can find an extra three seconds in your day to stop and let them out. Maybe you hear that someone, some help is needed for a community project, so you offer time to help. Maybe there's someone in your workplace who others seem to avoid. Invite that person to lunch. Maybe you see a new neighbour move in, so, so you just bake them a cake and go and say hello. It can be and will be many different things, but it's about studying the places you spend your 166 hours and seeing what the needs are. You know, I think in life we're more insular than we used to be. I think we used to look out more. I think we look inward more now. But we need to look up and see what is going on around us. And then once we've done that, we bring it to God because the second thing we do is we must pray. Because there is a war in the heavenly realms as seen in Ephesians 6. And so praying is our most powerful weapon. I'm not talking about just those two second prayers, but really heartfelt groaning prayer for what's going on in our world and in our community. And you know what? I'm not sure my prayers are always that deep and groaning and crying out to prayers. I think sometimes my prayers are a bit, just a bit timid. They're they're just a bit tame. Have you ever been in a worship service with people from South Korea? I had the privilege a number of years ago, we had those South Koreans came over for a mission with us. It was quite interesting because they couldn't speak English and my Korean's not that great and we didn't have an interpreter for the whole week that they were with us. (laughs) So that was fun. But they came and they were part of our service on a Sunday. And there is something within their culture, something about it. When, When the leader says, let's just pray, they lift up this cacophony of praise to God. The sound is unbelievably heavenly. It is inspiring. And don't ask me how they know, but they all stop at the same time as well. But it is absolutely fantastic. And you hear them crying out to God, lifting up their prayers, calling on his name, bringing situations, saying how amazing he is, thanking him for what they've done for him. I was at a conference this week and A Nigerian speaker kept asking us who were there doing his talk if we were still there. Because as mainly people from the UK church, we were so quiet. I was listening to the noise before the service started this morning. Well, let's be honest, I was listening to the noise once the service had started as well because you wanted to carry on your conversations. And it was great. It was a wonderful noise that Signify people catching up with each other, people saying hello to each other, people laughing with each other, people sharing life with each other, people being church family with each other. It's lovely to hear. And yet, why is it in the UK church when we are asked to lift up our voices in prayers or praise all together, we somehow lose our voices? We're happy to all talk at the same time. We don't mind what other people are hearing from around us as we're talking, but for some reason we struggle to all pray at the same time and we treat it like dancing. Maybe you love dancing. I hate dancing. I'm not going to dance for you, no. But you know whenever you go to a wedding 
I say to them, oh, I don't know if I want to go and dance. People might look at me. She goes, get over yourself. Nobody's watching you. <laughs> and she's right. But sometimes we treat, in church collectively, we treat, we treat prayer like that. We're afraid that somebody's going to watch us and somebody's going to listen to us. When it comes to prayer and praising and praying all together as God's church and lifting up our voices for our community and for other things, two things, when we are talking to our Heavenly Father, we need not be embarrassed. And secondly, just like dance one, no one is listening to you, so get over yourself and pray. Friends, we're told in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. We're to be like a persistent widow as seen in Luke 18 and never give up. Friends, I don't know about you, but, but I've got some work to do on that. I've got some work to do on praying without ceasing and what that means. But I want to give it a try. Maybe you know you've given up on praying. It's time to start again. So, so when we are thinking about the places we find ourselves in for the other 166 hours, pray for them. Bring them to God in deep, groaning, heartfelt prayers. Pray out to him. Ask him to give you wisdom and insight and to show you, to bring people to your mind and ask him to give you, you know, five names of people you can pray for that you know they don't know Jesus. You know they've got struggles in their life. And every day just ask the Spirit to give you a burden to remind you to pray for these people. To lift them up in prayer. And once we spent time studying our community, praying, then simply we must go. The Great Commission tells us to go. Go where, 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 you may ask. Where do I go? Well, just go into your 166 hours, wherever that takes you. There's some wonderful words in Acts 17 that say, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Have you ever thought that God has placed you exactly where he wants you? So that all people might seek him and find him. We all have the the call and the authority and equipping of Jesus to go, for we're all missionaries. So know this, friends. Wherever you are in life, outside the two hours here on a Sunday, that is the front line that God has called you to. That is where he wants you to be. With your neighbours, with your family, with your work colleagues, in your social settings, doing your shopping. Wherever it is, that's where God's placed you to be, to offer the welcome of Jesus there. Now for some of you, you may sense a calling from God to go somewhere a bit different. And that's great. Answer that call. Go there. I've got a, I've got a, a great friend. He's about 64. He lives in Alabama, in the deep south, in, in, um, in the States. And he's a great guy, David is his name. And every year, because he feels God has called him, he goes to a rock concert with a Christian organisation. It's a secular rock concert. And he goes to this concert and they have this tent. It's a tea tent or a coffee tent where, where youngsters can just come and be and chat to people. He absolutely loves it. It is the highlight of his year. 
Now is Dave an old rocker? No. Has Dave got experience of all of those lifestyles? No, he hasn't. But he goes and he doesn't judge and he just welcomes them with the love of Jesus. Because that's where he believed God has called him to go. And the first year he went, he went with fear and trepidation. But he said, I needn't have worried because God had called me to go there. God equipped me. And all I did was just love these youngsters who were coming into the tent. So friends, as we come to the end of this sermon and indeed this series, what will it mean for you to welcome beyond Sunday? For some of you, it will mean opening your eyes and asking God to help you see in new ways the world you already live in and seeking practical ways to show the welcome of Jesus. For others, you may have sensed a calling from God to go and do something different. What are you waiting for? Go and show God's welcome in that place. There's been a book that we've been looking at, those of us that have been preaching through this series, a book called Welcome by Jen Oshman. And in it she says this, Wherever you are right now, you are invited and empowered to share your life and the gospel with whoever is nearby. You don't need a strategic plan or a year-end goal, because you already have Christ in you, the hope of glory. So simply let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. She says the pressure is off because Jesus advances from you. The best days are ahead. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. She says, welcoming strangers into our lives and into our churches can feel overwhelming. You may feel too busy or too ill-equipped to take action. In reality though, Jesus simply asks you to love people right where you are. What is it we've said throughout this series? Love whoever is in front of you until they ask you why. We all have a part to play in showing welcome to everyone because we're all missionaries. And for us collectively as a church, let's look to move outside of these walls and show a welcome in our community. And let's keep working on welcome together in an intentional way as we ask Jesus to show us the way.